0: for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Are we good? The 11 a.m. Um, real quick, and we'll dive into part four next week, is a brand new series, or uh, at least part of March series, called Habits. Um, and this is a great invite because, again, it's one of those things that will help you just in terms of life. Um, one of my favorite stories recently was somebody who would invited friends, and they came and they're like, we don't believe it all, but we want our kids to be able to choose um, for themselves. And so they came, they're loving it. Um, so you may have friends that are more open than you think. And some of the most powerful like stories we have as a couple is people we got to invite. We never do a hard sell. We're just like, man, it's different. You should check it out. And then just watching what God does. So next week, get 30 seconds of courage, invite. We are a church for the city and the community. This is a big part of what we do. And uh, we're gonna start with the series Habits, which I'll just say, it's not just a life thing, it's a, how do I develop some of the habits in regard to my spiritual journey and where I want to go in relationship with Jesus if you're a Jesus follower. So mm-hmm. that's next week. Today
1: is junk in the trunk.
0: That's not what we're calling it, but... That's um, what I wanted to call communications it. Communications nixed that. But we went big Come today. Come to
1: church for junk in the trunk. Because
0: we're t- talking about... Junk in the trunk. Baggage. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing real quick. All of us have probably the story of like, you started getting a relationship. And as we've said all series, this could be workplace... It could be friendship. It could be with your in-law. It can be certainly marriage, dating, all of that. Um, you start to get in a relationship, and you get down the road a little bit. And this is certainly true with, like, dating or marriage. And or you're like, man, it's kid. going great, or with a kid. Yep. It's going great. I thought it was going to work out. And then you make some kind of statement, like, and then they, uh, they had a lot of baggage. <laughs> and I, I just think, like, all, I'm almost serious on this, but, like, you, before you get into a relationship, that should just be a question that you legitimately ask, like, hey, how much are you bringing into this? (laughs) Like, I don't know if you know or not, but is this key to soul size or is this 16-passenger van? But, like, I just need to know how much baggage you've got. And so the point we want to emphasize today is that all of us have it, and, and there's going to be parts of this that are going to be a little heavy, but also I think so much hope at the end, and where I hope we can just kind of look at our neighbor and go, yeah, you too, because yeah. this, this is all of us. Now, here's the thing I would say is there's a ton of unavoidable regret in life, but one of the things that we've started already to try to teach our kid is do your best to avoid avoidable regret or mm-hmm. just have as little as possible. You're going to have it. But have as little, like, make that fill up a Kia soul, but don't bring that um, into a huge 16 passenger because the reality is your present eventually is going to show up in your future and it's going to become your past. Mm -hmm. Like, whatever's happening now, like, it's going with you later and especially if you don't deal with it. And the other way to say it is you're going to lug what you load. Like, whatever you're packing in your suitcase – Again, it's coming with you from relationship to relationship. And sometimes, especially in marriage, and we've talked a little bit about this in the series, you get into a marriage relationships and you just don't really know until all of those bags merge. And you get them all out and you start to unpack them. And then a lot of times you're like, wow, that's a yeah. lot, you know?
1: Or what I would say, I think I jumped in too early and this is what happens sometimes. But like the first time they hand you a tiny version of yourself, your kid, for the mm-hmm. first time and you're like, crap. You know, as they get older, you start realizing everything you haven't dealt with they're now struggling yeah. with, you know.
0: And that's the thing. Like when you bring your baggage into a relationship, you think it's just like you and the other person you're in a relationship mm-hmm. with, and it's not. At some level, it's like you, the other person, uh, your granddad might be in there, um, your grandpa, your you know your sister in law. like the reality is all of the stuff that we pick up from multiple relationships. Again, we pack them away. We want to like slide it under the the couch or under the bed. We want to stick it in the closet. We don't want to open it up. We don't want to deal with it. And what we want to kind of um, hopefully graciously lead us toward today is at some point, as hard as it is, you got to open it up. You've got to face it. And there is a way to find resolution but all of us have baggage, and all that baggage is coming with us.
1: Yeah, so today we're gonna deal with five pieces of baggage, Um, and I think they're gonna grow in intensity as we go, but one of the things that I just wanna point out is that some of you, you're lugging baggage around, but I don't even think you know you are anymore because it's just become a part of you, right? Mm. And a lot of our baggage comes from our family of origin. It could come from a previous relationship or some kind of trauma, maybe even some bad decisions that we made, but we've worked so hard to forget it or, ignore it or stuff it, that we've developed these coping mechanisms that help us to do that. And I've said this before, but like coping mechanisms Um, can be really helpful initially, right? A lot of times coping mechanisms are what keep us alive. A lot of you are in this room after facing some really serious situations because of your coping mechanisms. Mm. But coping mechanisms are only supposed to keep you alive for a short period of time. Then it's the hope that you're going to start to get healthy and find new healthy ways. Um, And some of you just haven't done that. You are just still walking around, carrying your luggage everywhere you go. You're exhausted. You're coping. And here's what I can promise you. At some point, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to hit a wall of exhaustion. You're going to hit a wall where your coping mechanisms don't work. And then you're going to have the choice. Are you going to set your baggage down? Are you going to open it up and start to unpack what's inside of here? And I get it that's traumatic, that's really difficult. Some of you don't even think you have the strength or the emotional energy to do it. That's why we so often talk about therapy and counseling. We're gonna talk about that later on. We have counselors on our website that we have vetted as a church that a lot of us have gone to that know for a fact they're good people. But that's why you need someone to help you do that. But you're gonna have a choice to either unpack it or you're going to pick deeper, darker coping mechanisms that ultimately have the potential to take your life and the lives of other people around you. And I don't just mean physically, but I mean spiritually and emotionally. And so this morning, as we go through these five different pieces of baggage, Mm -hmm. our hope and our prayer is that you'll make the decision by the end of our message to surrender these and to really start to unpack them and work through them. But we're also, and I don't want you to think that we are being insensitive. We understand personally how difficult that is. Like I probably had most of these pieces of black, black baggage, baggage yeah, when we came pieces. into our marriage. Yes. I had almost every single one of these and did not know it until we got married. And I, that first year and a half, had to make the choice, am I going to go through these? Am I going to start to unpack these? Or am I going to self-sabotage my life and am I going to blow up my marriage? Yeah,
0: And that was, um, incidentally, the first lesson of today is when you're um, – Somebody you're in relationship with, or your spouse refers to how much baggage they brought into it. You just nod and don't say anything. Yes. So, you, if you don't get anything else from this message, just take that with you. You don't um, agree? You just so sit there,
1: straight faced yes. There's
0: five um, like levels of baggage. So, I picked the biggest suitcase for the first one, and we're like, we're just diving in. Can you there's turn no that way one to, around
1: because it's backwards, and it yeah, bothered yeah, me. The whole yeah. first service. Um, Thank you.
0: <gasps> so, like, this is the biggest one, and this is the thing. Like, we're all on an equal plane, and there's no way to kind of create a buffer around this. But the first baggage you got to unpack is the baggage of generational sin. And here's the thing, like if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're listening, you're watching somewhere, you're not even sure about sin, I get it. So how I would define this uh, for you, and you 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 can do this on your own, but that thing in you where you feel like you've let yourself down at times, like you haven't even lived up to your own standards. And I think for some of us, again, you don't have to believe anything we believe, but hopefully some of this today will give you hope. Like just the reality of something feels broken a lot of times. Like just cosmically, you know, at a macro level. It also feels broken at a micro level. Like something's off, something's wrong. And the biblical explanation is like sin entered the world and it it broke everything. And it's in our DNA. And here's the thing, like you know this. DNA is powerful. Like one of the things I always kind of joke about is like, I know we're kind of in a a moment in time where everybody wants to get healthier and fit. That's an amazing thing. And you're you're looking at men's health or, you know, Vogue and like, man, I want to look like that. And just the reality is like, you're probably not going to end up in men's health, uh, like unless your granddad's in there. Like DNA right? D- DNA is really, really powerful. Like, I always joke with my kids. Like, look at my, my granddad, um, whose name was Woody, which they love because they're huge Toy Story fans. I'm like, that's me at 80. Like, minus the flat top, that is hard now, as I work. I'm gonna say, that's probably going to be me at
1: what? Dale, you your know? dad, he's a pretty good looking guy. So I feel like there's like hope for you. You know, not that you're not good looking now. I'm saying as you get older... So, like, and this is a true story, okay, and I have to say this, and I'm going to, like, totally embarrass Dale. I don't even know where he is, but bless his heart. So, if he crawls under the seat, you know why. But when I first met Bryant, um, we had been dating a couple weeks, and I went home to New York, and I was showing, like, we were Facebook stalking. I was showing my friend pictures of him, and she's like, wait a minute, go see what his dad looks like, because that will tell you, like, is he going to stay good looking or is he not? And so we found a picture of Dale, and she's like, okay, he's not bad looking. This is good for you. And so I'm just saying, like, we may not want you to look like Grandpa Woody, but, I mean, Pop-Pop Dale is not bad.
0: (laughs) I don't really even know. Just go to baggage, two. I don't even know what to say to that.
1: It's like, baggage number six. Yes.
0: Here's the point (laughs) that I was trying to make.
1: You said to bring that, humor into this yeah, message, and I brought um, it. Thank so you. but here,
0: here's the thing, for real. Like, there is power in DNA. And, and this is, again, you can believe whatever you want. But we were born into a multi-generational chain reaction of sin. Mm-hmm. Like, generational sin is a big deal. And the thing is, man, like, your parents were born into that, too. And their parents, mm-hmm. and their parents. And this is one of the things, like, I, I had an incredible family of origin, incredible parents, but even as incredible as they are, I even have more grace now that I have several kids of my own to go like, they're broken, I'm broken, the people before me were broken. I mean, that's not a happy way to start a message, but here's what Psalm 51 five says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Mm. And, and again, I know maybe we don't all feel that or believe that, but I think sometimes an accurate view of a toddler will kind of give <laughs> way to the scriptures that like we don't, you know, we're not sinners because we sin. We, we just sin because it's, it's in our DNA. Mm-hmm. It, it's who we are. And we got a lot of good stuff, but we also got some bad stuff that got packed away in these suitcases. And then the thing that is just inevitable, I mean, regardless of how amazing, again, your family of origin is, you watched people and you watched their coping mechanisms and you watched their brokenness and their dysfunction because we all have it. And then you emulated some of that and then you kind of created your own and you found your own coping mechanisms and you, you inherited some of that stuff. It's why Paul says this in Romans, which is kind of his thesis of why we are the way we are and what the cure is for. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and that's Adam, and it, it was the domino effect of DNA, and then death through sin, not just physical death, spiritual death, sin just kills stuff at a micro level. Mm-hmm. Sin kills relationships, finances, reputation, dreams. And in this way, death came to all people because everybody has sinned. Mm -hmm. Or a better translation, everybody inherited this Mm -hmm. into their DNA. And DNA is strong. I mean, just kind of a... To lighten it up a little bit, my 8-year-old son, and I'm getting to the age where, or they're getting to the age where I really want to be careful of the stories I tell, but my 8-year-old son has, more than any of my other kids, has all of my DNA packed into him. All of it. Good or bad. And there's times where I'm like, that's me. And then there's other times I'm like, That's me. And one of like one of the stories is like being in his room, and he is just so hyper driven, focused. Everything's got to be perfect. And so like one he day, like
1: won't let the other boys play in there sometimes because yeah, because he he's want like managing the room. Up. He's like, you're yeah. gonna mess
0: it up. You got to get out of here. So one day, I'm just I'm trying to talk with him about, hey, dude, you just gotta chill, man. Everything doesn't need to be perfect. You don't have to control everything. It doesn't have to be all in line. And only to realize halfway through, as I'm telling him, hey, like you need to chill. You need to stop. Like you need to just calm down a little bit. I'm organizing his matchbox cars by color, in order, making sure. I was like, dude, you need to chill. Like, you're too big of a control freak. Just stop it. I get done. And I'm like, what did I just do? Like, there's no hope for you. Because all of my crazy DNA oh, is man. inside of his little body. Like, DNA is powerful. And so just to end this one suitcase, the biggest, because it's the biggest thing that all of us are carrying. And it should just make you feel better that, to know that you've got it. And maybe for you as growing up, and it was it was worry. Mm. And you were just in a home where, like, it was crazy. I mean, you wanted to go bowling at 17. It was like, sign a waiver, breathalyzer when you get home. Like, you know, text me when you get a strike so I can cheer you on. Like, asking questions about how they disinfect the shoes. I mean, you were just, it was over the top crazy. And you're like, what is this? And then you decided, I'm not going to be like that. And then the more that you decided that you weren't going to be something, the more you became that Mm -hmm. thing. The more you repeated that behavior that you didn't confront. For some of you, it was anger. And you grew up in some kind of... Circumstance or background where you never knew what the trigger was, but something would trigger, mm-hmm. and there would be a completely disproportionate response, and everybody just kind of learned to live around it. And if you've never opened up that suitcase, some of those patterns of behavior, as much as you don't want it because you know what it does, you've repeated those. Mm-hmm. You know, for others of us, maybe we grew up in a family of origin where there was just a lot of insecurity and there was a lot of fear. It was maybe kind of this mentality of, you know, we're a victim or there, there's these issues of like, we, we just, you know, we're, we're always shorthanded. We don't have enough. It affected the way you prayed, the way you dreamed. It just was always this, this lack of self-worth, a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear. And at some level, if you've never opened that up, like that follows you. There, there's this terrifying verse in the Old Testament where it says the uh, sins of the children's children, follow them. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is not that this is inevitable, but the point is, at some point along the way, you've got to find a way to crack this open. You've got to find a way to face it and find resolution. Mm. Or maybe for some of you, it's just addiction. And that's one of the things that statistics are so high. If you have a parent that struggles with addiction, it's, it, there's a good chance it repeats itself if you don't handle this. Yep. Like one of the things before I move on that, that really was something we had to wrestle through. Uh, early in our marriage when um, Nicole was kind of blindsided by mental illness, there was just no... We had no warning this was coming. We had an incredible relationship, dating relationship, and everything hit the fan. We were married. And one of the big fears was, is this something that's going to follow us and follow our kids? And one of the incredible hopes I want to give you, practically, I mean, you can find this in psychology science. You can also find it in terms of the scriptures, more importantly, is that there is something more powerful that can overwhelm your multi-generational DNA, and it can set you free. But all of us are carrying this, and at some, some point along the way, you've got to face it.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Um, and the second suitcase, then there's really no transition between these. It's just rapid fire for you guys. So um, the second one that I feel like is um, almost as big is the suitcase of abandonment. Now, what's really interesting with abandonment is that sometimes it's very obvious, okay? Um, And I came up with four Ds for abandonment, and then sometimes it's not as obvious. So divorce, death, Distance and disinterest are four of the main causes of abandonment in our lives, right? What makes abandonment so tricky and so hurtful is that it's always a willful choice, right? Maybe your parents didn't plan to get divorced, but they made the choice to get divorced. Um, Maybe your friend or sibling wasn't planning on committing suicide, but then they made the choice to commit suicide. As far as like distance um, and disinterest, Those aren't necessarily actual, like, actions. Sometimes what will happen is you'll be in the same room as somebody else, but they'll be totally checked out from you. They'll be more focused on their hobby, their career, Mm -hmm. whatever else it is, and they've totally cut you out of their lives, communicating that everything else is more important than you. There's actually been studies done, um, and as I was doing a lot of study on abandonment, because this is this is probably my biggest suitcase um, and piece of luggage that I brought into our marriage without even knowing it. But one of the studies that I did on abandonment said that if you were five or younger and you had a parent or a sibling, or someone who held prominence in your life pass away, five or younger, your brain actually interpreted that as abandonment, like they made the choice to leave. Now, that isn't the truth. We know that. Um, but as a kid, you have a hard time interpreting reality. Um, for me, when my brother committed suicide, um, I felt that as a source of abandonment um, just because my subconscious wanted to make it either my fault or his fault. It wanted to make it black and white so I could process it better. So abandonment, like I said, it can be very obvious, and then there can be less obvious ways. Um, And a lot of times, we react to abandonment in one of two ways, right? So it hurts so badly, we either will unhealthily attach to somebody else Mm -hmm. to make sure they never leave us. And so this is what we did in the beginning. This is what I did in the beginning of our marriage, is I unhealthily attached myself to Brian. And I had to know where he was, what he was up to, what he was doing. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but when you are so suspicious and when you're so distrusting, it almost makes the other person come across as suspicious because he's like watching every single thing he says, every place he goes, everything, you know, his facial expressions because I'm trying to figure out are you going to leave me or are you here for the long haul? And then the second thing we tend to do is we build walls, right? We're like, listen, this is never going to happen to me again. I'm going to make sure I never get hurt. I'm going to build all of these walls to protect myself. And where it becomes really dangerous is when when we do this um, spiritually, right? So where we either unhealthily attach ourselves to Jesus, and we're on and up, up and down all the time emotionally, like, he loves me, he doesn't love me, oh, he did this for me, he didn't do this for me, or when we just decide we're done, like, he could have protected me from all of this, he could have kept this from happening, he didn't, so I'm over it, I'm walking away, and I'm mm-hmm. done. Um, I would say this, a third reaction, to is pretending like it doesn't matter, Yeah and pretending like we're, um, we're unaffected, we don't care. You know, I don't care that my dad left. I don't care that they broke up with me. I don't care that my kid moved out and said he'll never speak to me again. I don't care that that friend betrayed me. We act like we don't care. But deep down inside, we do care. And we are carrying that hurt and that pain and that fear with us into every relationship we go to. And so we have to do the hard work of opening up the suitcase figuring out where that source of abandonment came from. And then ultimately, we're gonna talk about this in a little bit, surrendering that to Jesus and moving forward.
0: The um, third suitcase is, I'm gonna use the little one, Uh, but this might be a really big one for you, but it's the um, suitcase of enablement that you gotta unpack. And um, like, it, it may be, I mean, for some of you, this may be even was extreme, but you grew up in some kind of environment where they wanted to be best friends too early. And you're like, it's not, and it ends up sabotaging The relationship, or again, real extreme side, like they're buying the alcohol, like they're, you know, I mean, some of you, those environments are something that you're familiar with. But the more subtle ways is just like there was, in some cases, no boundaries or was just, kind of enabling behavior in that they were always coming in to rescue you. Yeah, I mean, you like whatever was happening, they are running to the school and they had it for you. They were stepping in, they were calling up the friend's mom so you could work it out with the uh, you know, four-year-olds. you are like, that's that's not needed. You know, they're just all of the enabling, making sure you didn't feel it, making sure you didn't experience the consequences, uh, making sure that you were, you were great friends. And, and it just, there was an enablement that took place mm. that again, might seem small to some of you. For some of you, it's Like this size suitcase, and if you don't crack it open and look, it's it's something that follows you and goes with you. I mean, um, this has kind of maybe been overstated, and people make a joke of it, but it's true. Kind of in a generation where there's a lot of like everybody gets a trophy, Mm -hmm. everybody's the best. I no joke, and this will tell you a little bit about my personality. In sixth grade, um, I tried out for soccer and played soccer. And she's kind of still trying to figure out my thing, and I didn't like it. Number, I know that's not a popular take with some of you, uh, huge Ted Lasso fans, you, you, know, you know, like you're all in. I don't get it. I cannot spend three hours of my life to watch one goal. Like, yeah, you, I just need more than that in terms watch of the soccer. Every Sunday. Though Justin in the back after yeah. the first service is like, but you're a Bucket, Tambay Buccaneers fan? Like, that was pretty <laughs> much your season, so... Um, but I, I'm just not into it. So I, 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 in fact, I wanted to quit and my dad's like, you're not quitting. So I had to grind it out, hated it. And then I remember though, I got to the end of the year and everybody, everybody got an MVP trophy. Like you couldn't tell who was good, who wasn't, who won, who did I mean, we were in sixth grade already and I remember physically being mad. Like somebody <laughs> tell me I suck. Do not give me an MVP trophy because I feel it. You saw it. Let's not pretend. And for some of us, I mean, it's funny, but there were There was some of that that's going on in our background, and here's where it starts to go with you into other relationships, and it's subtle, but it's powerful, that all of a sudden, somewhere down the road, sometimes it's a decade and a half, you start to long for the boundaries Mm -hmm. that created security, long for some of the boundaries that created safety, long for the, no, I'm not going to step into this, you need to experience some of this. And where it goes with you is that you start getting into relationships and you don't really have any idea how to do what we talked about in week Uh. one and two, which is to submit your hopes, dreams, and desires to somebody else's hope, dreams, Uh. and desires. You haven't had a lot of practice to put you second and somebody else first. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, there's even some areas of your life, and you maybe have disguised them well and nobody would know it, but there's some irresponsibility that is sabotaging your relationships. And you've never really cracked open that door. You've never really looked at that enabling behavior that kind of set you up. But here you are in relationship, and there is hope. There is something more powerful than that. But I'm just telling you, you have to confront it, and you have to face it.
1: Yeah. Good. Um, Suitcase number four is performance-based acceptance. So that is, um, the way that I would define that is like, I love you if, right? Or I love you when. Um, and the tricky thing about performance-based acceptance is that um, it's never that overt. Honestly, I, I think we'd all be better if someone was just that overt with us. Like if they would just say, "Hey, I'm gonna love you if you do this," or "I'm gonna love you when you do that." Like, okay, great, I can at least function that way. But oftentimes it's passive-aggressive and it's manipulative. Um, and I will say this, I have a very good relationship with my parents now, but we, they grew up in legalistic fundamental homes and then we they were a part of a ministry that was legalistic and fundamental. What I mean by that basically is like, if you did A, B, and C, Jesus loved you, you were accepted, you were awesome, but if you messed up, then you had to do all this penance and, you know, say that you were sorry and prove that you were sorry and then you were okay again. And so that got brought into their parenting when we, especially when we were younger and and going through like our adolescent years and things like that. And so... I brought that into basically my relationship with the Lord and with other people, right? So I'm constantly trying to figure out, okay, do they love me? Am I okay? Have I done enough? Is this all right? And it just becomes exhausting. And so often we are, if you've grown up in a home or in a situation or you've been around a friend or you've been in relationship with someone who had the performance-based acceptance baggage, um, and you get to a point in your life where you're like, I just want to know if I'm enough, right? Mm. Like, I just want to know, like, if I mess up, are you still going to love? Like, is just me okay? And it's part of the problem when we carry around this baggage for so long is we lose touch with who we actually are because we've been chameleon, chame- I can't even being a chameleon trying to be what they want us to be right and so we have transformed ourselves into someone we think they'll love and we have no idea who the real us is anymore and I think too what we end up doing is sucking the life out of someone else constantly trying to make sure we're all right are you okay are you mad at me what did I do what do I need to do differently and I think in 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 a lot of cases both people in the relationship are just like can we just stop like working so hard at this and can we just be who we are? And so it just becomes a really tricky way to live because yeah. you just get to the point where you're like, do you just love me for who I am? And again, we take that spiritually, right? Like, does God just love me for who I am? Can he accept me for who I am? Or do I need to clean all this up in my life first before he'll accept
0: yeah. me? Yeah. And one thing, and I thought about his first service and mm-hmm. I hadn't even planned to say it, but I would just say to a very specific group of people, Um, And that is um, individuals who you'd say you're a follower of Jesus and you have felt, I I would say, a misguided form of conscience where you maybe have an adult kid and they're kind of beyond the coaching years. And they maybe haven't made some of the choices you would want or maybe they've walked away from a faith that you did everything you could to instill in them or, you know, whatever the situation is. And one of the big, I think, issues from my perspective, and I don't, my kids are not grown or adults yet, but I spent um, now two decades from student ministry dealing with a ton of parents and a bunch of people over a lot of years, that one of the big mistakes that I think Christian parents can make is not making the shift to recognize that ultimately you're to train your kids up as best you can, but you have to realize that at the end of the day, especially as your kids get older and get grown, you're not their pastor, you're their parent. You're not their counselor. You're their you're their parent. You're not their priest. You're their parent. And I think one of the greatest goals in parenting is to parent with the relationship in mind. Here's what I mean by that. Some of you have a misguided conscience that thinks that somehow you've got to parent your adult kids or at least express your disapproval in such a way that there's not guilt by association or make sure they know or we didn't raise them that way. And I'm just telling you, I don't think biblically that's your role in terms of the new covenant command of love others the way that you want to be loved. You should do everything that you can to preserve the relationship and some of your adult kids do not need another lecture. They already know where you stand. They do not need more of your, you know, unspoken disapproval. They need a resounding, as loud as you can make it, I love you, period. Yes. In fact, one of my, or besides my dad, chief mentor said this about his kids as he was raising them. If you walk away from faith, he's like, I'm walking with you. Mm. And his point was not that he was going to walk away from faith. His point was his kids were not going to be able to choose anything that would sever the relationship. And by the way, the greatest opportunity you have of seeing your kids come back to Jesus is your loving relationship of expressed, unconditional love just like your father in heaven. That's so so I just want to, I'm going to conclude with this. I just want to let some of you off the hook. Mm-hmm. Your goal is to just love your kids and not modify their behavior and not worry about how other Christian parents are going to perceive it. They perceive it in a certain way. That's their problem. Yep, come on. It's not your problem. You are to love them to Jesus no That's matter good. where they go.
1: That's good. That's really good. Yes. That's good. Um, final suitcase. Yes, the final suitcase. This one's tough. Um, and this was the one we kind of wanted to warn you guys on. This is the uh, suitcase of abuse. And, um, this can be physical, mental, emotional, um, sexual, um, any form of abuse. Now, the statistics, um, for abuse victims is through the roof. So, I would say a vast majority of you in here have been abused in some way, according to a lot of the statistics. And, um when we are dealing with abuse, what we have to understand is that those of us who've experienced some sort of abuse, something in us has been broken, something in us has been stolen that was out of our control. Um, And I would say, you know, I think what is so heartbreaking for a lot of abuse victims is specifically when it's mental or emotional or spiritual. I've talked to a number of people who were like, I wish the abuser would have just hit me so that people would have believed me that it was abuse. Um, because a lot of times we end up just kind of shrugging off and ignoring the people that are like, no, I experienced some intense verbal, spiritual, or mental abuse at the hands of someone. And I think the thing that I want to say before we move on at, um, at all is um, these few words. And I want to make sure that you understand them and you grab a hold of them this morning. And, and here they are. The abuse was not... Your fault. It was not your fault. You didn't ask for it. You didn't put yourself in a position to be abused. You weren't looking for it. You didn't advertise for it. I don't care what lies the enemy has told you or what lies a church in the past has told you or what lies someone else has told you. The abuse was not your fault. This was something that was stolen and taken from you and your trust was broken. And here's what the enemy does a lot of times when we have experienced any form of abuse is he tries to isolate us so that we remain alone in the shame and in the false guilt and in the secrecy. See, here's the issue. So many of you in here have been abused, but nobody knows about it except for you and the abuser. You've never come forward with it because of the guilt and the shame that the enemy has just layered on you. And that's why I needed you to hear me say that it's not your fault. And the only way that you're going to be able to be free from that guilt and that shame that the enemy is just layering on you is if you come out and you say it to someone. Now, Brian's going to talk about this in just a second, but this is really where you need a licensed therapist that you can trust. And this is where you're going to have to find a place that you can trust like Centerpoint. We have vetted and talked to and been to almost every single counselor that we have on our website listed there as safe so that you know that these people are safe. But you are going to have to do the hard work of opening up this suitcase and going back and unloading it so that you can move forward without it. Because if you don't, even if it's a secret and you're the only person that knows, it's gonna go with you into every single relationship and scenario you go into. And here's what I would plead for you. The enemy has lied to you as a result of your abuse that you are not worthy, uh, you, you cannot be loved, you're not safe, and all of these lies will be broken once you open up this piece of baggage but he's not going to lose his grip on you and you are not going to walk free until you find the courage to open up that piece of baggage and you're gonna have to do it with somebody else in a really safe environment that can help guide you through it so you're not doing it alone, but there is hope There is victory, there is a new beginning. There are so many of us who have dealt with the abuse that we experienced and we are able to walk in freedom and not shame now, but you have to find the courage and it will only come from Jesus Christ to open up that piece of baggage and begin to go through it.
0: And and I think to go all the way back to our first point, generational brokenness and sin that we're all carrying. I've got it, you've got it, you have it. Yeah. Um, there's the domino effect of history. Like there's gonna be disappointment mm. as you unpack baggage. Like there's no way that, that there's not some disappointment of I wouldn't, you know, I, I would have never chosen this or I did choose this and I wish I could go back. And here's what I'd say, one of my favorite quotes from Philip Yancey, um, a lot of times these suitcases are the thing that can cause you to kind of just distance yourself mm. or walk away from God. Because of the disappointment at yourself and other people that turns into anger. And I love the quote from Philip Yancey where he just says this, that disappointment with God mm-hmm. is better than disappointment without yeah. God. And what I want to tell you is there's going to be a combination of, yeah, you need community and you need people. That's why we talk about this all the time. Just to process life. Yeah for other people to carry your burdens. There's gonna be a need for probably counseling and therapy maybe at some point along the way of incremental steps of time over time. That's the other thing. Like the the stuff that we have to start to unpack, a lot of times healing doesn't happen in a week. Mm -mm. Healing happens over the course of small deposits of time over time. But the thing that is going to be the catalyst for God doing something that you cannot do on your own is taking those steps and then recognizing this. And this is the part where you're like, oh, this is what I expect a pastor to say. This is how I expect you to end a message. And I get all of that, but I'm just telling you, this is the story of so many people in this room, so many people listening via radio or podcasting that all of those things are only going to be catalytic if ultimately you find resolution through Jesus at the cross. That there is something that is more powerful than your multi-generational DNA, more powerful than the abuse, more powerful than the performance-based acceptance. And all of the things I've talked about, they're needed, but there is power in understanding what Jesus has done at the cross that can change everything. And I am so convinced we are in a generation, we are so inoculated to this idea of Jesus on the cross and we have so dumbed it down that it's lost all of its power to free us up once we confront these things to find resolution through Jesus. And I think there's two big ideas. And the first one is just the fact that Jesus knows and Jesus loves us in the middle of it, which seems so like 101, but for so many of us, that's never moved our head to our heart.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where healing, which is present tense, right? So healing is an ongoing journey this side of heaven. Like we're not going to be fully healed of anything until we get to heaven. And so um, healing an ongoing journey, that comes from finding our identity and basing our identity in the fact that Jesus loves us unconditionally, all the while knowing everything we've ever done. Like I love Romans 5 eight that says, while we were yet in our sins or while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. So, like, if you can think back to your deepest, darkest moment. It was in that moment that Jesus Christ died for you, not the good you or the put together you that's here in church today. No, it was the worst of you that Jesus died for. And he died for you knowing everything you ever have done and ever will do. And see, that's the thing scripture says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? So he was in our past with us. He's in the present. And then some of us are terrified of the future. He's already there saying, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm already waiting for you. And so I love 1 John four ten. It says, this is love, not that we've loved God. It's, it's not how much we love him or what we do for him. It's that he loved us. And he loved us so much that even when we were in the midst of our worst stuff, he died on the cross for us. God gave his most treasured possession, Jesus Christ, in order to get you. Not the good, perfect you, the rotten, awful, in the middle of all your brokenness you. That's the you he came after to get. That's the you he loves unconditionally. And see, as we begin to grasp that fact, verse 18 says this. Let, there, um, I'm going to read off up here. There, this is, um, there's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And so as we begin to understand how much Jesus loves us, we stop fearing what other people can do to us because our identity is in Jesus Christ. And then we're able to offer forgiveness to other people. Now, this is a whole, forgiveness is a whole other message, okay? So I, I'm just gonna touch on it super quickly. If you have questions about it, you can see us afterwards. I'm sure Brian's done some messages on forgiveness. But forgiveness does not mean that the person is off the hook, you pretend like it never happened, or you have to restore the relationship. No, that's not what forgiveness is, especially for those of you who have experienced some deep, deep hurt from other people. What forgiveness is, is understanding what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, placing your identity in Jesus Christ. And then it's realizing that that person stole something from you. They're never going to be able to give you back anyways. They're never going to be able to make it right. They're never going to be able to owe you everything they've taken from you. And so it's allowing them off the hook for that. Like, listen, you can't ever pay me back anyways, so I'm not going to keep expecting you to give me back what you took from me. You're not going to be able to do it. And it's a process. Chip Ingram says it this way. It's forgive, forgiving, forgiven, right? So you make the initial decision of like they're off the hook. They can't ever pay me back what they took from me in the first place. Then it's every single day for the next couple days. For me, it was about 11 years I had to work through forgiving someone. Um, Where every, every time the anger and the frustration and the pain would come up, it was nope. Like they don't know me. They don't know me. They don't know me. And then you will get to a place in your life where you will wake up and you will go through your day and that person will not permeate every single thought that anger and that bitterness will not be the overriding emotion you feel towards them anymore. And you will realize you have gotten through the process and ended on forgiving. Forgiven. But it is a process. And it is something that you cannot rush and that you've got to trust Jesus for. And it doesn't eradicate the need for boundaries and protection and things like that. But it, as as we understand who we are in Christ and how much he loves us, we are able to free ourselves from the chains and the bondage of anger and bitterness and a lack of forgiveness. And we're actually able to live our lives in freedom
0: yeah. and the big pushback is well they don't deserve it
1: Yeah, and
0: the reality is your savior thinks you deserve it and the reality is initially when he gave you his forgiveness you didn't deserve it mm. and so this is about not their freedom it's about your freedom And what I would say is, as we get ready to close, and my my prayer and my hope is that somehow this would move from your head to your heart. And I can't do that, but the Spirit of God can. If you're not a follower of Jesus, again, some of this is like, yeah, I've dealt with this stuff, but some of your stuff about sin and multi-generational, and and the stuff about Jesus seems mystical. I get all that. But I just want you to know, this is the hope. Like, this is the hope. And the reality is that Jesus is the only one who has faced all of the things in all of your suitcases. Nobody else has done that. He is the only one who can say that. He is the only one who has been there. The scripture says, and this is the gospel, this is the good news, that Jesus literally took all of our baggage, past, present, and future on him. He felt all of it. He took all of it, all of the power, all of the consequences. There is nobody who can empathize with you like Jesus, but simultaneously in that empathy, he's the only one who has the power to do anything about it. In fact, Paul, who knew this better than anybody, dude was carrying around all kinds of baggage. And so you write basically what he talks, or you read what he writes in Romans, and he talks about how he found freedom when he says, for just as though disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners. That's Adam, sin enters the world. It was the domino effect of our DNA. So also through the obedience of the one man, talking about Jesus, the many, will be made righteous, can be set right, can find a way to make this right, even though it happened. It's not ignoring how painful it is, but either in a lot of cases you confront it or you repeat it. And here's what Paul is saying, that Jesus is the one who entered in to the multi-generational domino effect of your broken and my broken DNA. And he's the only one who didn't fall with the dominoes. He came into brokenness. This is unlike any other religion. Condescended into human flesh to go, I wanna feel what you felt. I wanna experience what you've experienced. I'm gonna take all of it on me. And he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And then he died the death that we should have died on the cross. Past baggage, present baggage, the future baggage that you haven't even gotten to yet, but he knew it and he loved you anyway. And when he went to the cross, the power of his death and then resurrection broke the power of multi-generational sin and DNA forever. And what I hope would begin to move your heart is that this isn't mystical. It's not some story in a Sunday school class. This is reality. And Jesus punctuated it. Not so that we could move forward with just having hope and faith and faith. He punctuated by living, dying, and then I believe walking out of the grave in history and anchoring it to history. And if you're a skeptic, that's where you should start. And that resurrection was a validation that everything he said he was gonna do, he did. He mm-hmm. took all of the baggage and all of the yes. suitcases and all of the trauma and all of the abuse and all of the performance-based acceptance. All of it went on him. All of the enablement that has set you up for failure, Jesus said, I fell all of it on the cross. And I took the power and the consequences of all all the performance-based acceptance. Come on, it was Jesus on the cross who said, I understand how that has victimized you the whole, if you do, then you'll be loved. Not at the cross. The cross is a declaration that now, you are loved because of who you are. You know what your DNA is? As you begin to follow Jesus, you're a son, you're a daughter of God. The Imago Day. I love you because a part of me is in you. Yes. No longer are you resting in your performance to be loved. You're resting in the perfect performance of Jesus that set you free. That on the cross, all of the abuse taken on Jesus, all of it, all of the consequences, all of the power And so Jesus is the one who said, I condescended into human flesh. And when you decide to believe by faith that he lived a perfect life, he died for your sin and suitcases and baggage, and he walked out of a grave alive in history, and then you recognize, I can't earn my way to God. I can't undo this on my own. I'm trusting what Jesus has done me to forgive me. But come on, just a heads up, newsflash, we have watered down the gospel. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you. Jesus came to set you free. This isn't just about heaven when you die. This is about, there is power over the baggages that you have been carrying right here and right now. Freedom is possible. Freedom is available. And so Jesus says, listen, you don't have to live as a victim because I've come and rather than living as a victim, I came as a victor and I was condemned for you so that I am the only person in history that can say, I know I understand, but I also had the power to Come do on. something about yes. what I understand. Yes.
1: And yes. so I just
0: want to end with this in my prayers that supernaturally God would begin to do something in hearts. And I just want to remind you and speak this over you for just a second. There is resolution that is available at the cross with all that God has done through Jesus. The reality and the truth is when you trust Jesus, you're not just forgiven. And some of you have lived as a follower of Jesus for two decades, and this may be the moment that this truth begins to actually change the trajectory of your life. When you begin to understand what Jesus has done at the cross, here's the reality. You have a new DNA, and all of the multi-generational sin that you didn't even have anything to do with, you were just born into the domino. All of that was paid for at the cross. All of the wrong of your life, all of the wrong at my life, at the cross, all of that was paid in full so that now the generational domino effect of your old DNA, it has been overcome by the power of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what's true about you, whether you feel it or not or whether you're living it or not. The reality of how you're living does not affect the reality of who you are. And the reality of who you are in Christ is you are a new person. You have a new DNA. You are not who you used to be, even if who you used to be was three days ago. When you get a hold of this, everything will begin to change, where suddenly you will have extraordinary courage in light of the cross to say, I don't want to deal with any of this stuff. Can we just be honest? I don't want to open this up. I don't want to confront this. I don't want to feel these emotions again. I don't want to dig this up. I don't want to remember what they did to me. But the cross and what Jesus did there gives extraordinary power to go, I don't want to do this. But I will not live as a victim, knowing that I serve King Jesus, who is the ultimate victor. And listen, all of this is true. I did it. This is my dysfunction. I wish I could rewind. I wish I could get it back. I wish I could choose different. Or yes, they did it to me. Yes, I'm carrying shame. Yes, I'm carrying guilt. I had nothing to do and yet they they abandoned me or they walked out or they set me up for failure. All of that is true about me, but suddenly when you understand the weight of the cross, all of this becomes true, but simultaneously you're beginning to walk into the reality that by the power of Jesus this does not have to happen have a hold on me any longer. God has freed me in Christ. So I just want to tell you one more time, whether you believe it or not, this is what it means to surrender this at the cross. If you are in Christ, you have a new DNA. You have a new family. You have a new father. And I don't know how jacked up maybe your father was. I don't know how many father wombs you carry. You have a perfect heavenly father who sent his son to demonstrate his love for you, who's never gonna abandon you, who's never gonna deal with you on, on the basis of performance ever again, never gonna walk out on you, never going to add to the baggage. He has come to free you from the baggage. You have a new family, you have a new DNA, you have a new father, and you are able to say, if this ever moves from your head to your heart to trust it, I am not who I used to be. And the reality of the gospel is the debt's been canceled. I had the opportunity to go free. I am forgiven. I'm not gonna be held back by their dysfunction any longer. And by the way, the family tree has been rearranged and I don't have to live under the identity of who I used to be or what was done to me any longer. I can step fully into the identity of who I am in Christ. And I don't know if you know what that identity is, but the moment you trust Christ, even though sometimes it takes three decades to really believe it, you become a purpose intended, lavishly loved son and daughter of the creator God of the universe and until you get to heaven, he will delight in you because he is not delighting in your current performance. He's delighting in Jesus' performance before you, and you are able to get to this point in your life to acknowledge all of this is true, but Jesus has done something to break the power of all of it, and so I just want to end with giving you this encouragement. The Spirit of God, as he begins to ignite and imprint this on your heart, can begin to change all of this. He can't make it go away, but how many of you know that one of the huge, just moving pieces of the gospel is that God is gonna take the very sources of your shame and guilt and regret and dysfunction, and he will repurpose and restore it for your greatest impact. That is the gospel. Yeah. If you think that you are gonna have an impact out of your greatest strengths, I'm just gonna tell you, newsflash, it's not gonna happen. You will minister out of your greatest weaknesses. And the spirit of God generally moves where he is invited in because he's not gonna move to force his will or his desire on your life. And for some of you, you want to believe this is true, but you've never really felt it, you've never experienced it. And I'm just telling you, the spirit of God is not reluctant. When you decide, I'm going to just begin to trust that this is true, even if I don't feel it. And I'm gonna begin to acknowledge what is true about the cross and about me. And I'm gonna surrender this baggage at the foot of the cross and begin to do the hard work of opening it up. Community, counseling, taking a step, maybe an extreme measure. And then I think these two words are going to guide what God wants to do in inviting the Spirit of God in, confession and repentance. Confession that says, God cannot heal what I hide. And maybe it wasn't even my fault, it was done to me, but I'm going I'm to begin to move so that somebody else can, can carry this burden with me and can remind me of the scandalous love and grace of Jesus. And then in some cases, it requires repentance. Repentance. Not that God's trying to get you back. Jesus has already got you back at the cross. You've already been freed. But I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna change my mind. I'm gonna get it into the open because I don't wanna live my life carrying this around. And the greatest tragedy is followers of Jesus who have all of that true about themselves and they stumbled to the finish line of their life and it wasn't about the baggage that they carried. It was about the fact that they never found resolution at the cross. They were never freed up from it. They they were never able to get to the place to go, yes, all of this is true, and I'm free. They were never able to move into relationship to go, I have got so much crap and dysfunction, you would not believe it. But I'm committed, and I'm free. Because the power of the life and death And resurrection of Jesus, whether you're living it or believing it or not, is the multi-generational sting of your DNA has been overcome by his power and you have the ability through faith and trust in him to go free and to live different. And to stand before him with all of the baggage but cleansed and righteous and free and whole. That is the good news. And so wherever you're at in this moment, listening in some weird place with tears coming to your eyes on radio, and this was not what you expected, or you're in a dorm room, or you listen to this podcast later on, or you're physically in this space, and the Spirit of God is invading kind of your, your world in ways that you did not anticipate today. I just wanna pray with you with every head bowed and every eyes closed. and. I don't give an invitation every week to some people's chagrin, but the reality is I don't do that because I am so confident in the spirit of God to move in people's hearts to respond as they're ready. But every once in a while, there just needs to be a physical declaration. So in in this moment, if you finally come to the place to believe, man, I, I, I have confidence that Jesus really did live the life I couldn't, died the death that I should have died, walked out of a grave alive, And I believe I've got baggage like everybody, but I'm asking him to save me and forgive me. And there's not even a prayer that you have to pray that saves you. It's just a declaration of your heart and mind. You put whatever words to it you want. But Jesus lived, he died from my sin, rose again. Right now I'm placing my faith and trust in him because that's where it starts. You don't need just another book. You don't need another system to help you. You don't need three more techniques. You need a new DNA. You need a new family. You need a savior. And so this is your moment to place your faith and trust in a new heavenly father as his son and his daughter. Would you just lift up your hand with nobody looking? look in because sometimes it's the physical declaration of our faith and trust that really makes this moment meaningful for us to go. This is the moment where I'm placing my faith and my trust in Jesus to save me. So lift up your hand. Yeah. Yeah, just, just keep it up for just a second. This is the moment I'm placing my faith and my trust in Jesus to save me. And then for others of you, you just leave your hand up for a second, but then the rest of us can join you if the spirit of God is working, where you would just say that there is some suitcases that I've got to confront and I've got to open up. And by the power of Jesus, I'm asking for resolution. Would you just lift up your hand in this moment? Again, as a physical declaration, just to kind of help anchor this to your heart and mine. There's some suitcases I need to open up and I need Jesus to give me resolution for those things at the cross. Just keep that up for just a second. Jesus, I pray that you would do your thing in this moment. I pray that you would heal, redeem, restore. And I guess the prayer that I pray more than anything else is that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do. And by your resurrection power, you would give us the courage to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?